talking about uh, movies. Oh, yes. We have a podcast. We do. And it's official now. We're on iTunes. That's right. So, if you're listening to this... This is the first time that this is being recorded for an iTunes audience. Oh my gosh, it's exciting. I'm very excited. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. We're basically the dollop. Oh man, we are so the dollop. <laughs> Except not funny. Except ranked one million. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of one. I'd imagine anyone listening to this will probably not even heard of the dollop because they're all family and friends. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to your podcast, Eric, and you swear far too much. <laughs> I really try not to. <laughs> and apparently I looked it yeah. up. Little people is what they are referred to. All by name, they Lit- say. Oh, little yeah. people. All by name. Yeah. But I mean. You don't know all the names. You can't exactly go, hey, Peter Dinklage. Yeah, he's just a like, but how? It, <laughs> that's gonna hey, get me into trouble. But I mean, that's that's. I find that even worse. Hey, little person. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, uh, hey, you over there, the guy. You know, the guy. The hey, you darkish man. The, yeah, <laughs> hey you, guy with the brown hair, white guy, little person. Yeah. Oh me, yeah, 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 you little person. And then a child comes up to you. It's just like, hey Peter, then what's... <laughs> Junior. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh my gosh. Well, we should start. Yeah. So no, um... we haven't started yet. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. You go. So. Hello, I'm Derek. And I'm Peter. And, and this, this is, is The, the Mog. Mog. I was surprised by this movie in many ways. <laughs> Say, I was regretting my decision. I, I think this would be something I'd show to my kids. Oh, it's good to hear. I think it's about a father's love for his child. Oh, absolutely, yes. And uh, a complete stranger's love for that man's <laughs> child. Wore really ugly outfits. <laughs> you know, puke yellow, prom night, pale blue, you know. I, I don't even know <laughs> yeah. where to start Definitely with this film. Definitely not a movie I would consider watching unless you tell me to. In this podcast, one of us suggests a beloved movie from our childhood for the other to watch. And then we talk about it. What made us laugh? What made us cry? And... This one, which somewhere sits in the middle of that. Yeah. This is, um, this was one of mine. It's the city of lost children, or as it's known in the French language. La cité des enfants perdus. Yeah, very good. You pronounce French well. Or what I would refer to it as, qu'est-ce que c'est que je viens de regarder? Je viens de look something. Or, what the fuck did I just watch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's the word for F? What's the F word in French? I don't oh. know. Well, when I typed it into translate, it was Qu'est-ce que je viens de regarder? So, I think it must be je viens. Oh, that's naughty. My, uh, my, my alternate title was The City of Lost Children, A Dentist's Nightmare. Because <laughs> there's so many bad teeth in this film. <laughs> Just awful, awful dental. But the evil guy's got lovely teeth. What are you talking oh, about? Oh, really? I thought they were all displayed out. No, he, his were 
perfect. They're just horse like. Yeah, but they were just pristine oh, were they? and white and shiny and lovely. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't actually get to listen to this in the original French, unfortunately. I did want to, but where I normally rent movies to watch, uh, it wasn't there, so oh. I had to just try to find find a copy to watch. Yeah, no worries. It wasn't um, crucial. So this was my film, um, but I did originally see it on SBS. And it's quite, you know, back when you're growing up in in our teenage years, you sometimes get these gems on SBS. It's just a random TV station in Australia, really. You mean while you're looking for pornography? Pretty much looking for nude. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But um, sometimes you get gems like this and they're all really late at night. And I think I watched this alone. I was, um, it was 1995, so probably I was 15 or 14. Oh, right. Okay. But I was just like, I haven't seen it many times, but it really struck a chord with me. It really sort of resonated me. And it's mainly the cinematography, I think. It's really rich visual language. There's that shot of people's faces where it's always askew and distorted. Yeah, he does lens things, camera angle things, Mm. but there's also like the perfect lighting and all this red and green, you know, it's just sort of... It really sticks with you. And it was not like nothing I've ever seen. He went on to do Amelie and became famous for that. Yeah. It's um, by Jean-Pierre Junet. And Le Delicatessen. And Delicatessen, which I didn't see before this one, but that was his first one. Yeah, well, uh, so so your, what's your earliest memory of it? Well, yeah, just late at night watching this pretty much alone and just like being dumbfounded, just sort of swept away. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was really, really out there but also very dark and i was a bit of a yeah, it was. angsty teenager for the most part <laughs> i was into metal music <laughs> and marilyn manson <laughs> oh my gosh um and inspired me to make this giant metal sculpture in grade 10 which is pu- oh really pure evil it was just sharp pointy bits of metal you know how there's all these robot type things in this and I, I yeah. learned how to use a plasma welder and I just sprayed it with hydro- really? hydrochloric acid so it rusted a bit. And it, it was pure evil because you couldn't get anywhere near it without getting like sliced. <laughs> <laughs> what ha- whatever happened to it? It got into an exhibition and I had to transport this thing and I was so cut. I was like just sliced everywhere. My hands were oh all my God. But yeah, I was really drawn to this sort of fantasy world as well. I guess I always have. Like, I always like cities. I've been a city boy. And I just like this really seedy sort of city that he created. It's not just even the city. It's like the underbelly of the city and the seedy characters that live there. I think for the same reason that you're attracted to it, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm pushed away from it. Oh, wow. Yeah, because um, you're right. This type of shooting and the way that it's shot, the sets, the way that it's all set up is very dirty and dark and lots of browns and reds and very just um, almost trying to give an idea of insanity almost. You know, that, Mm. um, that craziness and all the characters are slightly askew. Well, in fact, very askew. They're all very much caricatures. Yeah. And uh, that type of thing does push me away a bit, I must admit. I think I'm a bit more of a, for for all of my constant anxiety, I'm a very bright, sunny guy. Yeah. On the inside, you know. And this one is quite, yeah, it pushes you into this dark realm. And I also must apologize because I do remember now that you're red, green, colorblind. And most of this film is red and green. So <laughs> well, looked- the thing is, it's not so... Well, red, green, colorblind. It's more like um, 
shading. Like I can still see reds and greens. It's just that um, at a particular point, it's hard to distinguish between the two. So it's not like I'm seeing black and grey or something like that. It's more just just imagine imagine you're seeing reds and greens and that it's a little bit duller so that it's harder for you to make the difference between the two. Yeah, so it would have not probably looked as nice for you, I think. Yeah, maybe not. Um, It's hard to say because I'm red-green colorblind. Yeah. So apologies about that. Well, look, I I can see that this was the reason why you picked this film. It was <laughs> just to, you know to you sending me a message. <laughs> I, you know, after all we've done to get this thing set up on iTunes and sent out, you just yeah, I'm uh, sorry, but I mean, I saw this alone, and then I think with my brother later on. And then we bought the game, obviously, because... Yeah, there's a computer game of this. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Where the hell did that come from? It's just random. And we had a Dreamcast. Would you even know of a Dreamcast? Yeah, I do. More so than that... Um, what was that other one that you were talking about? There was the ColecoVision. ColecoVision. What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, that was very obscure. The Dreamcast was also obscure. It was Sega. And there was la- their last sort of console before they went bust. Um, and you were either sort of Nintendo or Sega when you were growing up. We were always Sega, so mm. Dreamcast. But it was a cool little game. It was sort of like Limbo or Inside. Oh, okay. And I can see maybe they were influenced by that, but it was a little bit tedious as far as games go. Yeah, I guess I guess in a way it would have... I can see someone seeing this and saying it would make a great game because it is... If they made it like a Monkey Island or a King's Quest type game... That would make sense to me because in those games, they always have characters who have not two-dimensional so much as they have very strong idiosyncrasies. Yeah, over the top. It's very melodramatic, I would yeah. say. Yeah, everything, everything, everyone's character is highly defined by one or two attributes. So, it was sort of um, this macabre sort of fairy tale and there was another game called Noctropolis in 1994, which I was a massive fan of. I don't know if you heard of that game. No. It was really, really dark. It was like a comic book hero, but it was just in a very City of Lost Children world pretty much. Right. um, Where all the villains are really just um, insane and like think Dark Knight Joker, but times 100. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Well, um, I actually, I, I think we should do a bit of a synopsis for this. Okay. Um, just because we're setting a bit of a scene for what the feel of this movie is. But in terms of its meaning, I'll give you a synopsis. So, the evil crank, Daniel Emil Fork, and his henchmen have been made by a mad scientist. Crank, uh, who cannot dream, kidnaps young children to steal their dreams. Uh, one... That's a name, Ron, who's Ron Perlman. A former whale hunter who is as strong as a horse sets forth to search for Dunry, his little brother who was kidnapped by Crank's men. As an aside, Dunry is this little child who constantly eats. Um, he's helped by young Miet, Judith Vitette, and soon arrives in La Cite des Enfants Perdus, the city of lost children. So, And what he does, is it's just about rescuing Donry and the relationship with Miet and one. So one's a, you know, he's in his mid thirties, maybe mid thirties, yeah, and she's twelve, yeah, something like that. Um, and uh, and the evil crank and and uh, there's also a brain in a vat, um, called Uncle Irvine, I think yeah, it was, yeah, 
and uh, the clones. So his henchmen are these six clones. Who are they played by? I don't know that guy's name, but he's got a very rubbery face. Yeah, he <laughs> Dominic Pinon, Pinon, I think his name is. And he's been in all of Sean. <laughs> he's um, he's in uh, Alien Resurrection as well. That's what I was going to mention. The guy in yeah. the wheelchair. <laughs> so this guy, this director, he went on to make Amelie, and then immediately after he made Alien Resurrection, and then yeah. nothing else after that. I, I can't think. imagine why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, poor guy. But the music I found in this was quite good. It was by yeah. this guy called Angelo Badalamenti, and he's closely associated with David Lynch. He's done all of Lynch's music. Oh, really? So, Lost Highway, uh, Straight Story, Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet. So, it's very, it's got that sort of Lynch vibe, which yeah. I thought sort of was cool. Um, it's sort of melodramatic a little bit, I would say. It is, but it's... I think it suits the tone of the film very Yeah, it's got well. that dark sort of, yeah. But also, like, the cinematographer, he's from Iran, uh, Darius Konji, and he did Seven and, like... Oh, really? The, yeah, with, yeah, David Fincher and Midnight in Paris. So, like, I don't know if you've seen that. It's, like, Woody Allen. Oh, no, no, I've seen that, yep. Yeah. So, he's got a very distinct visual style. And yeah. that's what I was really drawn to, I think. And I, as soon as you, this film opens up, like the Santa's come and it's all red and green, you know, <laughs> it's all just like, <laughs> and they're using those weird lenses you're talking about, mm. cool camera angles. And I had the ability to pause at this time, which I really liked. Right. So, I probably added another hour to this already long film, <laughs> just pausing and drinking in all the, you know, the scenery and the perfect lighting just for everyone like it just looked amazing how he's got all these kids perfectly still you know mm. so it seems to me listening to you you're talking very much from a technical perspective so the shooting the vibe of the film and i wanted to get onto one surprise that it really struck me as yeah. i i because i hadn't seen this since like the 90s mid 90s and i actually if you go into the google drive now I made my first film in film school um, maybe four years ago. And if you open up, I've got some screen grabs. Oh, wow. It's almost exactly the same. <laughs> it's like been that much of an influence that, um, you know, the girl looks the same, the hair, the clothes, it's all in the city. It's all this noirish sort of lighting. Yeah. You can just sort of skip through them. I actually remember this. Oh, seeing that film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you showing me this. But I had no sort of link to that. But as soon as I saw Miette, like the little girl in this. Yeah. She's like almost a splitting image. She's like an, an older version. Older so version. A more like yeah. um, one where it's not inappropriate to have a relationship with uh, Ron Perlman. Yeah. How, what was your what were your thoughts on that? Well, firstly, I want to say awesome photos. Do you dude. see the yeah? Sort I of, can really see the vibe. Yeah. yeah, and also the the choice of location. Yeah, like the city, right? It's all yeah. The lights. You're picking the alleys and the brick and the 
the close-up shots and there's sort of a bit of angle to it. Yeah, they use yeah. these angles as well. So that was quite, um, it's sort of, it made me realize how much this movie has influenced me. It just sat in my subconscious because, mm. and that just came out with no sort of reference to it because I haven't seen it for 20 years pretty much. It sounds like not only were you inspired by this film, but it really, you were kind of working on the idea of it since it was, um, since you first saw it. Like you're straight into doing that piece of artwork. The sculpture, yeah. But uh, in reference back to your question, um, I don't know. Because that really was, yeah, probably one of the standout things about this that hit me on the rewatch was um, how sort of... Inappropriate? Wow, yeah. It was sort of, I didn't really know what to feel <laughs> about it. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's just like, is this a cultural thing? Is this a... Because they really, you know, she's 12 years old, but they doll her up to give her a very mature face. Do you know what I mean? And she's act- she acts very adult-like and... Yeah sort of the children in this are really exploited they're taken advantage of yeah by the sisters you know they're made to steal stuff uh, yeah and, and all the children are very much children as well like except for her really young yeah, yeah. they've all got their little um hats on and they're all dirty faced but um Miet, on the other hand just happens to have the perfect hair the makeup the red lipstick the the clothes and it all just feels a little bit off for me that that part of that like yeah just something that yeah i sort of like i don't know how to take that well the other aspect of it was that it was her affections were for one um who was a very childlike adult he was very simple and sort of he tried to make it i guess those two dichotomies she was a very adult child and he was a very childlike adult yeah so I don't know. It's like the professional. It, this movie reminds me of with with Leon and Natalie Portman. I it did for me too, very much so. But this was but that was even more of it. That one was. Yeah, the professional was even more of it because there's a scene in the professional where she says to the hotel owner that they're actually boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've seen that. But like, that's not the case. But that's the way that she's selling it to the to the hotel manager. I thought this one was a little bit because she was talking about La Femme, uh, which means my wife. You know, <laughs> he was asking about. You know, he was saying she should find her wife. Yeah. Um, and then he gets a tattoo yet for life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and before then, there's a scene where they've kind of escaped and they're sleeping in a in a bag of flour or something like that, and just like you know he blows on her and she goes what are you doing and he goes miet warm oh okay so there might be some stuff lost in translation here because oh, okay. um originally i did see it in french and with the subtitles and now that i actually i'm learning french um and i'm on a 990 day nine day duolingo streak oh god nice man <laughs> so, it's almost a thousand yeah days. but i understood quite a lot um, and that actor, cause he was American and he had to learn French and the way he was pronouncing French, um, was part of the thing that that whole thing was because you know how there was the hooker. Yeah. Not a hooker. I don't know if she was a chant- chantreuse, I guess. Yeah, you mean, I think you mean sex worker <laughs> is a proper pronunciation. Uh, so did you mean the midget hooker? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Peter Dinklage, he wasn't in this. <laughs> 
But she was oh, trying man, to correct his... Oh, man, was getting taken off iTunes. <laughs> she was trying to correct his pronunciation of radiator. Radiator. You have to roll the R. Oh, and, right. And, so, it was actually... And that's what he said to me at radiator. But in the English version, who knows what he said, you know? Oh, right. It keeps you yeah, warm. Yeah, he said... And it makes no sense. I, I think it said miet warm. Oh. And he was blowing that's on her. That's like, yeah, it like, takes... Puts a different meaning there, really. It does. It's still. I guess what it is is that it's in this day and age, uh, any interaction with an adult and a child that is any way, if there's an affection there, you are definitely looking into it with a particular lens. You're always asking the question about what's going on there, and, and for me, just seeing that stuff makes me go, "Oh, that's a little off." But I don't know if that's really the intent. And, but there's one other effect that sort of I'd like to talk about also is the subtitle effect. It's sort of with me, it's like a museum effect. When you see subtitles, it sort of makes you think about a movie more of an experience and you, you sort of look at it with a different lens as well. Um, hmm. And I sort of, I, I saw those scenes and I, I saw it as a cultural thing as well, like a French thing possibly. Yeah, well, that's what like, I was wondering. Because um, she was a petite sir, which is just like a little sister to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's what he said. It was just also some of the... Um, but she was clearly in love with him and... Yeah, I think that that um, childish idea of love rather than the more adult yeah. perspective on it. Is where it's, but also um, there was that scene at the end. I don't mind skipping forward. No, that, no, we'll go back because she ones. becomes an old woman within the dream to defeat um, Crank, and she actually yeah becomes a very old woman, and so you can actually see her in a different um, perspective. Mm. Then you don't see her as young. You sort of see her as she is. She's old and wise, and um, so that sort of also um, smooth the edges of this sort of oh, okay. awkward thing. But let's move on from that because that um, I think that become an over-focus for the film um, when there's a lot of other stuff that's going on as well. Yeah. So, um, one's little brother gets kidnapped. By these uh, cyclopses. Yeah. Who are like pseudo-borg. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked that sort of mechanical eye, man, and the noise and the static. It was a cool effect. Yeah. How it's sort of hypersensitive ears. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of, and that's played for a bit of comedy as well. <laughs> yeah but um there's some stuff in this man that it just it jumps between really childish slightly insane and then maliciously sick well like even in that opening like within the first scene like the 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 owner gets stabbed <laughs> they just stab him yeah and there's blood on the knife yeah that's right um and he's dead he's lying on the <laughs> Yeah, but is he dead? That's what I don't know. No, he was, but there's a goof there. There's like, you could see his pulse <laughs> when he's meant to be dead. <laughs> Table. Oh, he's, he is yeah. meant to be dead. Okay. I wasn't sure. Yeah, you could probably see okay. his pulse still. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know what you mean. There's all that stuff. And like later on, the little the little person, <laughs> mother, she gets stabbed with a harpoon, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then there's a great quote from that. Um, the guy goes... Does it hurt, mother? And she goes, yes, mother is allergic to steel. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I found, I've actually found pretty funny. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she just gets shot. But actually the sickest part, well, I, I'm being pretty strong on the word sick, but um, 
there's uh, Marcello, you know how he has the flea yeah, that the uh, poisons people mm. and he plays the music and it makes whoever's uh, whoever's been infected highly aggressive homicidal. to those around yeah. them, homicidal. And he does it to some of the psychopses. And uh, this guy, this bald guy, there are two other psychops dudes and there's this bald guy and he proceeds to do some of some really horrific stuff. Stabs like, the dude in the eye. Yeah, he pulls off the thing. The guy goes, I can't see what what's going on, what's going on? And he just slowly puts the knife in the socket and then just whacks his hand. Yeah. And then the other guy, he grabs the other guy, disconnects the guy's viewing apparatus and connects his own so that the guy can watch himself get strangled to death. <laughs> it's intense, man. It's, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a scene where Crank is um, pretending to be Santa Claus and uh, miming to the He's song. just screaming at the kids, man. <laughs> I know. And and it's kind of played for comedy. And they just must have really tortured these poor kids. I reckon those kids were genuinely crying. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a scary looking dude, man. He's right in their face. Yeah. And, um, yeah. <laughs> There's some really really bizarre stuff in this and it's and that's the kind of element of it that's almost very he's sort of like a mr burns right but in yeah. real life yeah he is he's got this board and his teeth that just jutting out and he forms his words just like overemphasizing. i don't think he could have been anyone but french because of the way he talks yeah you know? yeah um and it's so scary looking when he's dressed as santa i would have liked to have heard the voices in in french um, to see what it would have uh, sounded like. But, yeah. Uh, even with the dubbing, the guy still is pretty intense. Um, but he's also a tragic character too. I felt a little bit, that was sort of a little bit forced maybe on the rewatch. Uh, that sad story that meant to make him cry. Yeah. They're trying to sort of elevate what is just a very simple story into something melodramatic, you know, it became this melodrama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also things like they use raining. And in film, like when it's raining, you're meant to feel sad. Oh, is that <laughs> you know, right? Sort of. It's very, <laughs> yeah. very in your face type of... Um, yeah. And there is a lot of, uh, from what I understand, there's a lot of um, interpretation that's supposed to be made about this film. There, some authors did a, an examination of it in to look at the dual nature of capitalism uh, as a tension in the film. Well, there was that whole Hitler thing as well. Is that what you're talking about? No, no, no. It's, oh, um, no, sorry. It's okay. The different groups represent different aspects. So, you've got the Cyclopses who reflect um, people pursuing religious ideas and the two connected ladies, the Cyclopses, uh, uh, sorry, the Octopus, um, who represent the greed and the search for wealth. And, um, uh, yeah. And then the uh, the freaks, the uh, the scientific experiments it's also supposed to show the effects of capitalism and exploitation of children um, yeah i felt it didn't come across subtly no. though like this this cyclops leader he looked like hitler he was screaming yeah. a monologue about superior races yeah know? he was very in your face um, it's a it's just like do you think this guy likes religion i'm not sure <laughs> yeah so i guess uh the overall playthrough of of the movie is that it's the relationship that develops between Miet and Juan and they're looking for the, his little brother and so they go and they interact with these 
different characters along the way. So you've got the the religious sect of the Cyclopses who are all kind of crazy um, fanatics. And I, I, I actually like the character of Marcello, who's this assassin um, with the fleas. But he's also an opium addict and he looked so sickly, man. He did. And he looked <laughs> like he was chronically depressed. He cried oh, throughout the entire film. Well, I think it was like withdrawal or something because he was sweating too. Yeah, I- and there's one thing about this film. It doesn't try to Hollywood things up and make things pretty. It no, tries the reverse it does. and makes people really ugly and just like unattractive. Yeah, like the shots are always of people's faces distorted, you know, the right up in their in nose, nose. Yeah, and the, and the eyes. Really bad teeth. And, you know, there's this guy eating a sausage, but it might as well be dog food, you know. so but Marcello he plays that really eerie music to get people riled up and there's a scene where um, one gets infected by the fleas and the old ladies who use the children to steal money they uh, want to kill Miet and one and uh, he gets hit by the flea and they play the music and they just watch as one basically is trying to kill Miet and he's just slapping her and strangling her and mm. well the the way they get out of it was the sort of Amelie-esque um scene where her teardrop lands on a spider web and it creates this domino effect that's right um, and I, I believe the you know the the humping dogs has got to be somewhere in an alternative <laughs> title for this where you know one of the cause and effects is that the dog goes finds another dog humps it and transmit this the flea across <laughs> yeah um but that yeah i don't know that was kind of interesting there's there's little things that they try to bring some humor into this yeah and and i think there is a lot of randomness almost like um things just suddenly happen yeah. Like to get the film moving on, one dramatic event is followed by some other crazy event. So she, the Cyclopses are going to kill one and yet, and the way that they do it is that they um, put them on planks with buckets at the other end filled with fish and the seagulls are going to eat the fish so that one of them is going to get dunked into the water first and then the other and they're going to drown. And they start betting on it. Yeah. Yeah. And... um Miet does end up in the water, but she gets saved by a diver who just happens to be the original mad scientist yeah. that made the the freaks, so to speak, uh, who got stabbed and lost his memory. So it's all it kind of all cycles back to to that. Yeah, it's very much like a fairy tale. You've got to sort of suspend your <laughs> your belief. Yeah, there's a lot. That I must admit, while I was taking notes on this, one of the phrases that kept coming up was "What the fuck?" Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, you're a sailor, you should know all about tattoos. So the only way to find out about how to get through the minefield to get to the um, bad guy's lair is through the tattoo on some guy's head, <laughs> yeah. and. Um, and uh, you know the this guy is supposed to kill Marcello, and uh, you hear the bang, and he doesn't actually shoot him. He goes, "Those sluts always nagging at me." Yeah, I like that guy, man. <laughs> and and uh, and how um, Crank goes to the uh, his uh, one's little brother, um, who is not afraid of anything, 
um, because he's not afraid of Crank. He goes, uh, we were made for each other. You are the little boy that I need. <laughs> okay. Also not in the subtitled version. <laughs> it was a little bit yeah, more subtle than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> he talked about how he's got no other interest other than nutrition. Oh, right. Because <laughs> he's always eating and he eats a candle. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> I like that little kid. Yeah, he's he's a he has a lot of character in his face. What did you think of the clones? Um, well, they were they certainly were played for comedic relief. Yeah, and you know I I think they got the rough end of the stick most of the time. <laughs> What happened to them in the end again? Well, there was one scene that made me laugh. It was um, where they're sort of, he goes randomly, he appears behind one and he says, don't hurt me, don't hurt me, which alerts him one to that fact yeah, that he's Yeah, that's there. right. <laughs> and then he throws him down the chute and there's the other guy just over his shoulder and he's looking aghast at what he's yeah. doing. It's like they've been sent down to stop one and they don't want to have anything just to do bewildered. with it. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. That's true. I found that pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if they were going to end up getting like killed or something, falling down that that chute, but fortunately not. Yeah, they escape in the end in the boat. And there's no epilogue in this. It sort of just ends very abruptly with the burp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is very sort well, of anti-Hollywood. But then again, Hitchcock, Hitchcock did things like that. He just ended like as soon as the dramatic drama has reached its climax he would end it very shortly after that mm, i think it's supposed to make you reflective ah. to say oh so what will happen to these characters at the end oh where will they go from here so seeing it again did you get any different takes on it i would have to say yeah this this film it's best watched late at night where <laughs> you know you're in a very sleepy frame of mind maybe you don't take things as intently as what we do which is take notes and like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a it, it's it's one of those films you kind of walk away from going that was really weird yeah but it it sort of sticks with you i feel it does and that's the thing and i can understand if you're watching this this can be one of those things that really does bring about a like that whole sticking with you the the idea of something sticking with you you know it leaves you with an emotion a feeling Almost something that you can't quite describe. So, you have to think about, you know, why are you feeling the way that you are and what was it about it that made you feel that way? Yeah. And it does that. The the visuals, the utterly depressing setting, um, twisted photography, the, the characters themselves where it's not so much that you're wondering what their motivations are or that, uh, you know, you're not trying to understand what, what's underneath the surface. It's more the fact that those characters, their extremes make you feel a certain way. Yeah. For, for me, you know, some of the... I, I know we went on about it a bit, but, uh, you know, the relationship between one and Miet was really strange for me. And, uh, and it certainly made me think a lot about it because part of me just wanted to say, that is just so off. And the other part of me said, well, think about... Try to think about it a bit more in the context of someone looking up to someone who's looking after them, not having anyone, but also the culture of it as well. Yeah, I really wonder if watching it in French would have um, made it different yeah. for you because I did see it as a different cultural thing immediately when she was like just speaking in French and they use different words. It's not as explicit. Yeah, you know? and, and that's the thing. Like I, I very much felt that 
I wish I kind of understood the culture of the film itself, you know, that that French culture and and the the slant that it gives on this film to all of the characters and all of the yeah. the ways that they act because there's also the insanity of all of the characters they they are driven by almost singular motivations like Irvine's is just um almost just a liar um throughout and um the clones are very much regardless it's not their actions whether their actions are moral or immoral it's just that they do what they're told and they're very goofy about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the mother, what was it, Martha? I can't remember her name, but um, she was very, she was just very uh, much. In fact, when I think about it, the older women in this are portrayed very interestingly. So the Martha and the, the octopus, the two ladies, they're very much these almost strict domineering types. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Sort of very strong women in this. Yeah, very strong, but also at the same time very much um, morally bankrupt. Mm. Um, whereas the the men, are, regardless of evil or good, are very much played as naive. Yeah. Like uh, the crank, even he's evil and all of that, but he's also very childlike yeah. in his views. Because he was getting um, a story, a fairy tale read to him to sleep and yeah. things like that. Yeah, just didn't, seemed a bit odd, actually. In fact, all of the men in this are dominated in some way. Mm. Like one is very simple. In some ways, Miet almost tries to dominate him. Yeah. Um, Martha is the one that, isn't she the one that stabs the scientist? Yeah. The original, yeah. And the, the octopus twins, they're, um, they're very much controlling and, and very much using of of the children mm. and but all of the other people regardless of their actions or not so marcello he's very much um made to do stuff he doesn't want to do regardless of whether his actions are good or not i guess the only diff- um exception is the cyclopses but even then their actions are very much i don't know reactive in a way they're not driving the actions they're reacting to them mm. Like the it, the the killing of Miet and uh, Wan is driven by the religious order itself, mm. and also Martha. Yeah, it's just, uh, and maybe I'm missing something there. Maybe, maybe I mean the religious leader himself was very much a controlling individual, but um, yeah, there did seem to be a bit of that. Mm. That's interesting. I didn't pick up on those, really. I didn't think about it either until that moment. I guess that's the thing with this. I I don't have many memories except for the visual stuff about this. Mm. Um, But when that organ grinder music struck up, that brought back memories almost immediately. It's funny how music can just trigger things. That music is very powerful. Yeah. The events that it elicits get wrapped up in the music. And it's just homicidal <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's that it's it's a very maddening sounding piece of music. Yeah, sort of that carnival accordion. Yeah. Sort of carny type music. Yeah, yeah. So um I, I agree with you about the music in this. I thought it was very good. So I guess as far as impact, this was I guess you could say we went to pretty much a jock school, would you say? I would say majority jock, but not quite as jock as some of the other jocks. <laughs> And um, but uh, our, our, actually, our grade was the jock. 
craze. <laughs> yeah. Like our, like we're, we were we were we were always the worst of the worst. And my one safe haven and outlet was art class, which I took from grade eight to twelve. Yeah. And so that was like my one haven, and it mass. This film massively inspired me, and sort of the detail of the characters and the gadgets and the cool lighting and the sets. And, you know, I later went on to make film, which was massively inspired by this. And I didn't even realize how, by how much, but I showed you those photos. Yeah. It's pretty much shot for shot almost. Um, I, I can really, it's a very rich world. Everything around it is very rich in, in visuals and, and style um, the music. And I struggle to think of anyone else that sort of does this stuff like the Wachowskis, maybe, like, and Darren Aronofsky. Peter Jackson. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know that's very mainstream, but um, he does do some of those shots yeah. in his films. Mm. Like that crazy side angle facial yeah. shot. Yeah, that's a good one. But his stuff, yeah, I guess it's very sort of mainstream. It's very safe. Whereas this, like, was really trying to push... The boundary, especially in 1995. Mm, yeah, well, and that's the interesting thing about it. In some ways, when I watch this, it does seem art house, and then in others, it's got this animatronic visual effects. You know, some of the effects in this are very modern for the time. Yeah. What uh, was so on your nostalgia meter? It's it's really quite high because um, I hadn't seen it for 20 years, and it yeah it did bring some revelations about me that I hadn't really realized. Oh, that's cool. I hope it wasn't too unpleasant for you. <laughs> it was a long film. I, I enjoy looking at any of these films, even if I don't really get too much enjoyment out of them. There's certainly a lot to think about and look at. And I'm always looking for the humor or something twisted about a film, even if it's like the court jester. <laughs> um, this had no end of ammunition Oh yeah. Uh, in terms of twisted oh, yeah. bad subtext, weird stuff going on. <laughs> um but it, I I got I, I got overly um I just overwhelmed with the amount of weird stuff that was going on that often in my notes was just the words what the fuck. Because <laughs> 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 I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely out there. And I think that subtitle thing, as you're talking about, is probably, you know, the dub is probably a huge thing as well. Mm. Because, yeah, if, if someone's overdubbing, they're giving their own slant to it. Yeah. Uh, and the lost in translation. Yeah, definitely. But thanks again for watching it. Oh, thanks for, thanks for suggesting it. Um, so, what is the next movie? The next one's yours. Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Looking forward to that. So, this will be a bit of a detraction from City of Lost Children. <laughs> I wanted to throw in a bit of dark stuff because it is, it is part of me. No, absolutely. We need that stuff. <laughs> Just depends on how much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next one's going to be it for me. <laughs> Actually, I'll save that one for Halloween. You've told me about this a few times. You've said that was one of the scariest films you'd ever seen, wasn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. I'll save it for our Halloween special. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> our Australian Halloween special. <laughs> yeah. G'day, mate. You want to get scared? <laughs> get some beer on the barbie and put on a clown mask? <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks very much. We'll be stopping very soon. Good night. Good night. Have and you I'm stopped? St no, I'm about to stop. I'm going to stop.